This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. You're listening to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for firm faith in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. Harold Sinkabile has the secret of sustainable pastoral work. Quote, you need to realize that you've got nothing to give to others that you yourself did not receive. That's his main message in a new book called The Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart published by Lexham Press. Sinkabile is an executive director of Doxology, Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care, and a veteran of nearly 50 years in parish ministry, seminary teaching, and parachurch leadership. Sinkabile argues that we've focused so much on winning souls that we've neglected to keep them. Just look at the attrition rates for people who grew up in the church but drifted away. He advocates for a priority then on pastoral care, against models of pastoral ministry as activity manager, CEO, or unlicensed therapist. Nevertheless, he recognizes that many pastors lack spiritual depth and awareness to take up the challenge of pastoral care. We try to give ourselves, but we quickly run low on our own resources of empathy. He writes, no matter how compassionate and empathetic a pastor is, there's just no way he can come up with what it takes to feed the sheep of Christ effectively, much less tend to their spiritual heartaches, bruises, and injuries. Sinkabout joins Gospelbound to discuss how he learned these lessons the hard way, why Christian living is more caught than taught, and what he's seen as the biggest change in pastoral ministry over the last half century. Thank you for joining me on Gospelbound, Harold. It's great to be with you. You you write that you learned the lessons of this book the hard way. Uh, Tell us when you realized something had gone wrong. Well, as I recall, that happened uh, my very first funeral, which wasn't that many months into my ministry. Uh, it's going on 50 years now, not quite. Uh, so we had a very large funeral in our little community, and uh, it was a tragic death. And um, I was trying to minister to the grieving widow and uh, surviving children. Out of the uh, resources which I had within, I, I thought at that point that it was my emotions that would sustain them and my compassion, and I was pretty good at communicating that. Um, but I found out very quickly that I was running dry. That would only go so far. And of course, my main calling, which I knew intellectually, was to provide Jesus, not to provide my own <clears throat> Christian compassion, uh, which comes as a result of not, um, and I don't lead with that. Not of necessity, I decided that uh, I was going to shift gears and, and learn a new way to uh, approach the care of people. And I've been working at it now for almost five decades. So I'm a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, even as much as we publish books and we publish um, podcasts and things like this, it still seems that a lot of these lessons need to be learned by us the hard way. One of the things you you write about in the book is that, well, you write about how Christian living is more caught than taught in many ways. And I wonder as pastors, we're always trying to balance all of the different responsibilities that we have. 
are we spending too much time on our sermons if that's not how most people are supposed to be changing? Right. Well, that's, uh, of course, in our profession, uh, there's so many things <laughs> that need attention. They cry out for attention and they are worthy in and of themselves. Uh, but to get the proper balance is is a, a, a very difficult task. Uh, so if you're always doing whatever whatever is a, the pressing necessity before you, you're going to be uh, running in all directions at once. Uh, so uh, at all at all times to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified is a governing principle. Uh, but what does that mean in each instance? Um, so um, I think that um, sermon preparation is really, really crucial because, let's face it, that's uh, the greatest intersection with the greatest number of people on any given week. Um, that, together with, uh, of course, the public worship of the congregation, and that deserves a very, very high priority in terms of um, <clears throat> time <clears throat> consumed and dedicated. Um, that's a little trickier. So um, I would put it right up there. But, uh, you know, if we invest all of our eggs in that basket, we're not going to have anything left to uh, really intersect with people where they live and, and work and in the nitty gritty of life. Um, I think uh, it was... Um, Eugene Peterson, it's in one of his many wonderful books, said uh, being a, a minister or a pastor is is directing um, um, prayer in the traffic of life, and uh, and that is uh, is really our calling. So we have to be with people, we have to be out among them. Visitation is so important, and um, at every instance uh, to be having uh, you know an eye tuned to their spiritual needs. Uh, to have a heart that's empathetic to uh, their relationship with Christ or lack thereof. And I might add that uh, you mentioned in the introduction that uh, if we are so interested in gaining souls for Christ, we need to be keeping souls for Christ. I, I would hasten to add that if we're interested in the spiritual life of people, that also impels and informs uh, our mission and evangelism. So the very first step in gaining souls for Christ is to, to comprehend and understand them as souls for whom Christ died and to have that diagnostic spiritual physician approach, in, even in our evangelism, uh, really helps us. The care of souls is equal, equally applicable to uh, gaining souls as it is to keeping souls. This next question is a little bit related to the previous one. You write that we're drowning in information but starved for genuine community. I wonder how you've seen that change, perhaps, over the course of the last five decades in ministry. Um, but again, to bring back to pastors, it, it seems that we're often focusing on the information part and not on the community part. So I'm wondering, how have you seen that change and what do we need to change now? Well, I was surprised to, to yeah, read not too long ago that one of the greatest threats to public health these days is loneliness. <clears throat> and um, that has all kinds of manifestations in the people's physiology, uh, leads to um, you know, heart attacks, all kinds of things, in which people are leading increasingly isolated lives. And paradoxically, because they're so more connected <laughs> with uh, technology, they're less and less connected personally. And uh, we're not designed to live that way. We're designed to live in genuine community. Um, in uh, you know, as 
we live in the image and likeness of God himself, who in the Holy Trinity is a community. So um, how have I seen that? I think it's true that we become busier and busier uh, with, with labor-saving devices uh, so that we uh, no longer have time for the one thing needful. And um, so our relationship with God suffers, but also I've seen certainly that people's relationships with one another have suffered too. You see that in marriages and families, in um, uh, friendship, the, 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 the real crisis in friendship that happens because we don't have time. We don't take the time to cultivate uh, meaningful friendships and connections with uh, other people. And uh, more and more isolates us uh, from genuine community. And uh, so how does this impact our, our ministry? I think um, as the world becomes increasingly isolated, the church needs to be more deliberately communal. And uh, we need to spend more uh, concentrated effort at deliberately connecting human beings with one another within the body of Christ uh, so that we can rejoice with one another over our joys and we also can weep with one another over our sorrows. That's, that's the way God has designed the church. And that's, uh, I think, a real fulfilling ministry for pastors these days. Well, Harold, I like how you distinguished between contextualizing for the culture and textualizing people into the text of Scripture. But why don't you go ahead and tell people more of what you mean by that? Well, obviously, there's such a thing as common sense contextualization in, in every era, every generation, every century for that matter, even a millennia of the history of the church. Uh, we have to speak the language of the people. We have to know uh, their customs, <laughs> what makes them tick uh, sociologically and so forth. So there has to be a sensitivity to that, as, as St. Paul would say, you know, to be um, uh, all things to all people is important. However, uh, we have only one message because there's only one God and one Savior, uh, one Lord, <laughs> one faith. Uh, one body, uh, we we have uh, a common message in every era to convey, and that has to be conveyed in a sensitive way. Um, I think these days there's been an overemphasis in my mind on contextualizing the message to fit the nuances of the the uh, subcultures of our uh, of our society, and. Uh, the longer wisdom, I think, of the church is to be able to have to usher people into the transcendent culture of the church, uh, where there is um, this one common faith, one common Lord, and we can indeed worship Him in different languages um, and on different ways. But there is one central message that unites us, and above all, there's one governing. Um, a text that defines us. And so the Holy Scripture needs to be uh, front and foremost. And so as missionaries and pastors, I think our our responsibility and our privilege is to usher people into this transcendent culture of the church. Uh, some Christians call this catechesis, um, <laughs> accustoming them, if you will, uh, to the rather unique uh, heritage and culture of what it means to be uh, the body of Christ uh, transcendent and yet connected with every succeeding culture. Harold, we're, we're trying to care for people who think of God as a kind of cosmic butler 
who's aiming to make us happy. So with what you just referenced there in terms of how we need to textualize people into the church, how do we get them from point A to point B, from God as cosmic butler to God as he reveals himself to be in Holy Scripture? Well, if you think of it as two polarities, you have people's own experience and, and their own awareness of themselves and their surroundings and their needs, obviously. Um, but the other polarity is God in what he wants to give and to bring to them. Because let's face it, he knows their genuine needs, whereas they have only a whole series of wants. And so they're going to ask for what they want, whereas God wants to bring them what they need. And so as we come into this intersection, we are in many ways a facilitator of a meeting between God and these people. And uh, so we are, uh, uh, our, our responsibility is to help them to see clearly what their genuine needs truly are, to see God for who he is and not a sort of a dim reflection of themselves. Um, and uh, so then he becomes more than a cosmic butler. He becomes their great physician, or uh, as I say in the book, the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus is the one who, who, who first uh, claims his lambs and sheep and then tenderly cares for them within the community of his church. So in my experience, and, and I've, I've seen this at work, um, it's uh, difficult but not impossible to help people to move from their wants to their genuine needs. And part of that is helping them, ushering them, as I say, into the text of Holy Scripture, uh, diligent um, study, uh, proclamation, and um, pastoral care that's rooted and grounded in um, God's holy word. And by the power of his spirit, uh, they then come from their felt needs to their genuine needs, and they find their fullness in Christ, who is their life. Let's continue on that theme here. You write about the complementary doctrines of justification and sanctification. How do we deploy them properly? in pastoral care without confusing their distinct roles? Right. Well, that's a big topic. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's a softball for a Lutheran. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, what I'm right. trying to do here. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So um, God's word contains both law and gospel and um, the proper distinction of both and the right application of both is as um, many would say, an art to be uh, learned in the school of experience. It's not something you learn just in a classroom. Uh, but if you look at the biblical themes, uh, Christ in first, first Corinthians 1 verse 30 is kind of the, uh, the uh, Sadius Doctrinae for this very question. Uh, Christ himself is our righteousness and our holiness because he is our redemption. He is wisdom from God our righteousness, our, our, our redemption, and our sanctification. Uh, so for our right relationship with God, we need the, uh, the righteousness of Jesus, which covers us as an alien righteousness, be, bequeathed to us, bestowed upon us by faith in him, as he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Uh, Luther would call this the great exchange. Um, uh, but at the same time, he is our holiness, that is, our 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 cleansing, our perfection. Um, and uh, this is something that is so essential, I think, in our time, because we live in a, in a 
in a world that's full of shame. People have been not just, they're not just sinners, but they are sinnees, as I put it. They've been sinned against. And when people are sinned against, it, then not only do they get hopping mad, but they actually have been contaminated or defiled by the sins of other people. So they need to be cleansed of this defilement. They need to have, instead of this, a sense of, of um, incompleteness and pollution, of uh, the purity and the holiness of Jesus himself bestowed upon them by means of the gospel. So the very same word of God, the same word of a gospel promise brings not just forgiveness for sins committed, but also brings holiness for sins suffered. And uh, that two-prong approach of the application of the, uh, of the gospel of Christ, I think, is, a, is an important tool that's given to pastors, extremely useful in the, uh, the, the juncture of the times in which we live right now. Uh, so I think that law-gospel distinction is important, but also the righteousness-holiness distinction is important. I think you just implied this in your answer, but you observe that our culture, as we implode ethically and morally, that pastoral care, really the whole emphasis of this, of this book, The Care of Souls, becomes more urgent. And beyond how you answered there, how else can pastors prepare for this ongoing transition, mm -hmm. this implosion that you've described? Well, the first is to remember that we're not called <clears throat> to a previous generation or a previous era or a previous century, but right now. And I think we need to take heart and, and to have great courage because the simple fact is that God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, give us more than what we need for the, the times in which we live. In fact, if you read carefully, especially in, in the light of the New Testament studies, uh, what uh, the early church was facing is very, very similar to what we have right now. A godless culture, a, um, a, they had a pre-Christian environment. We have in many ways a post-Christian environment. What that means is we, we're facing a, a, a world of overt paganism. And uh, that brings with it a host of challenges. Uh, but underlying it, you have human beings who are in, are in need of a savior. And we have a savior who's big enough and broad enough to address uh, these needs. So to uh, be equipped for it, I think we need to explore um, more carefully um, the, uh, the actual teachings of, of the word of God to unpack them, not just exegetically, but also with an eye toward their application in terms of that uh, careful distinction between uh, shame and guilt and um, how we then navigate this uh, to help people to live a life that has become really subhuman. I think it was uh, Tony Eslin who said that's the challenge in, in missions today that wasn't faced by any uh, generation in living memory um, because they all had at least a common humanity to, to build on. We live in many ways. We don't live, obviously, in the city of, of God, but we don't even live in the city of man. We live in the basement of the city of man. <laughs> We mm. have to bring people up <laughs> to a, a basic of, of a, a level of of their fundamental uh, uh, common humanity and a kind of natural theology before we can even begin to speak to them regarding the truths of God in these in such a world. There's an opportunity, I think, for us. And if we don't uh, panic, that's I think the 
oftentimes we despair because things are not the way they used to be, especially people of my generation. Um, but that's, that's what I was. That's what I was just going to ask because <laughs> I mean, it's a, if you're looking back five generations ago, I mean, when you've got all of this ahead of you, you kind of learn that you that lesson that you just identified that this is the time that God has given us. This is the generation that he's entrusted to us. We can't exchange that. For many pastors, especially as they get older, I find that it becomes difficult for them to reconcile the new challenges. They will sometimes want to fight the older battles. They become very discouraged. And thinking about this idea that we don't, now we're dealing with the basement of the city of man that, that becomes despairing. So how do you continue to push back against that despair and to, to learn to embrace the challenges that God has given us, even as you become more experienced in ministry? Well, um, one of the key um, pictures, if you will, that I have in my book is that of the pastor as a sheepdog. Um, and you see, if, you, if you're thinking you're in the ministry all by yourself, trying to make things happen for Jesus, and you have your eye only on the sheep that are around you, it does get despairing. Um, but the sheepdog always keeps one eye on the shepherd, you see. <laughs> and uh, that's important. The, we're, we're following his direction. And he has things well in hand. Um, you know, as he looked at people, his heart went out to them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so uh, his concern was to care for those. But also he said there are other um, sheep too that he wants to bring so that there would be one flock and one shepherd. So this idea, I think, covers both evangelism and, and um, pastoral care. Um, if we recognize that we're um, sent on a mission, and the mission is at the impetus and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is uh, God from God and light from light, and true God from true God. Uh, uh, certainly, um, he said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but do not um, be um, dismayed because I have overcome the world. Um, so, uh, as I said, we're, we're, we're sent with a transcendent mission that is not confined to any one generation. Uh, it's sensitive to each succeeding generation, but its goal and direction is um, to bring the transcendent message of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the reality of his body, the church, into each and every circumstance. Um, so we don't have to try to recover the supposed glory days of the church. And I'm old enough to tell you there really weren't any. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, to be sure, there are unique challenges uh, that we're going to face in our own lifetimes because we are constantly moving through time ourselves. Um, but if we're not getting locked into any one particular concept or mindset other than I'm the Lord's man, these are the Lord's people, and I want to facilitate a meeting between the Lord Jesus Christ and his people at every instance. Mm -hmm. uh, that gives me, I think, joy. If I know him, I'm doing what he's work, what he sent me to do. And it also gives me confidence because I'm not doing my own work, but I'm doing his work. My last question is one that I often will ask pastors because it seems to be a, um, a pretty 
I guess straightforward problem or challenge in ministry that we often take for granted because it's so obvious. But uh, there are many words of consolation we bring as pastors, but there are also, of course, many words of challenge that we bring. We're often telling people uh, what they don't want to hear. And these are the same people who pay our salary. How do we navigate that dynamic? Uh, very carefully. <laughs> uh, humanly speaking, it really can't be done, but it, we have to recognize that we're not a, really on a human mission. Uh, we work for a Lord who is is not part of the membership of this congregation, but he's concerned about every member of the congregation. Um, so I often say to um, uh, the, the the students that I've I've taught at, at seminary and now in my in the parachurch work I do in the training that I do for pastors, you know, never take the blame for your ostensible or apparent failures, uh, nor take the credit for your successes, provided that you're faithful to the Lord Jesus, because it's like um, uh, St. John the, the Baptizer, he, he must increase, I must decrease at every instance. So when you are forced to say something, you're under compulsion, really, under oath, really, to say things, the hard things that people don't want to hear, and they don't like it, and they'll tell you so, and say, well, you know, don't kill the messenger. I, ju I just work here. <laughs> I mean, you don't say those exact words, but that's the mentality. Say, so, you know, let's, let's back up. Let's take another look. Uh, what has the Lord given us to do here? Uh, what has the Lord made us to be? Um, what is his intent for you? And so I'm here as his messenger for you. And uh, believe you me, I'm, my goal is not to make life miserable for you, but to make life joyful for you. Um, so that's the mentality. And uh, I guess from a pragmatic point of view, the answer to your question is you can pray that people get deathly ill. And so that <laughs> they're in desperate <laughs> straits. Uh, at that time, I find them very, very open <laughs> to ministry. But nevertheless, um, they're uh, God's sheep and lambs. He loves them a lot. And so we do too, for his sake. Yeah. Well, it just sounds like that reinforces the very mm -hmm. message of this entire book. We're not here to give ourselves. We're here to give Christ as we receive Christ ourselves. So right. encourage I, people I, to oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would say just one thing along those lines. It's yeah. so important that uh, pastors be pastored. Yeah. And that's a theme throughout the book as well. Uh, if it's true, and I believe with all my heart that you can't give to people what you haven't received, that means you need to be in a receptive posture, um, both for yourself uh, in terms of your own care of your own soul by meditation and prayer, as opposed to study, by the way as important as study is, you need to actually contemplate the Word of God to receive it as, an, as what it is, an instrument and tool of God's Holy Spirit. So you yourself will find um, the uh, life that is in Christ Jesus in, in application to whatever ails you at the moment, um, to cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you, to lament before Him for those things that are seem to be almost impossible to bear and to uh, seek his uh, uh, strength and peace. Uh, so that's self-care. But then equally important is to receive pastoral care by another pastor. You know, you don't go to a barber if his hair is unkept. 
you don't go to a, a, a dentist if his teeth are falling out. <laughs> so we pastors need a pastor. And I think in my experience, that's all too rare. And that's one of the drums I've been beating for a long time now. And yet I do know many pastors who have been forced to learn or, or have just sort of fallen into that temptation uh, that they need to fake it um, yep. because mm-hmm. their very busyness mm-hmm. of ministry, trying to keep up with all these demands uh, erodes or, or just sucks away that joy um, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's a great point. It, it doesn't make sense in any other calling and vocation. It certainly should not, um, should not be true of pastors. So uh, that's a symptom of a pastoral depletion syndrome that I describe in a companion volume to this book, The Care of Souls. Lexham also published a little paperback um, called Lexham's Guide to Ministry um, mm-hmm. Strategy or Leadership and Strategy for the Care of Souls, which mm-hmm. I co-authored with my good friend Lucas Woodford. And in there, I address exactly that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of the things I uh, worked on a recent volume called Faithful Endurance. Tim Keller writes in there about how ministry will either make you a much better Christian or a much worse Christian. Because you'll, you'll either be forced to confront Christ and to find him faithful, or you'll be forced to fake it, which is going to just kill your soul. Sadly, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, much more godly wisdom for pastors to be pastored in this new book, The Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart. I know it's been a, a huge means of grace by, from God to the pastors of my own church, as, as well as myself and trust many others, an award winner for a 2019 in the Gospel Coalition in our pastoral ministry category. Again, my guest and the author uh, has been Harold Sinkbile. Thank you, Harold. Thank you for having me, Colin, and blessings to you and all your listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Bound with Colin Hansen. Join us next time as we continue the search for firm faith in an anxious age. Visit tgc.org slash gospelbound to find transcripts and past episodes, subscribe to my newsletter, and suggest a guest or topic that will help you find hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ.